Welcome to the All Nations Aurora podcast, where you will find family, discover purpose, and change the world. We're so glad you're here. And wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will speak directly to your life through this message. Let me see whose paper Bible saved this morning. Who is paper Bible? Let me see. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We paper Bible saved up in here. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? Well, um, we've been in the midst of a series that we've been uh, talking about this here Bible of ours. It's called It Is Written. And uh, we, we, we challenged ourselves all month long that we would be paper Bible saved. Huh? Not just virtual Bible saved. And we would show up with our physical Bibles in hand. And uh, so we just made it a fun thing. And so I'm glad that you all have been doing it. If I've never met you, my name is Talib, and I'm one of the lead pastors here at this fine church of ours. Um, church, can we just make some noise for everybody that's here for the very first time? Let them know that we're glad that they're here, because we are glad that you are here. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us. And so this is part three of It Is Written, and it's Family Sunday. We're in here with our kids, and we're making it a family thing, because this Bible of ours is imperative for not just us, but for the legacy that we're creating within our families. And it's important that we um, take it way more serious than we have been taking it. Here's why. There's a big problem in the land. I don't know if you know about it. Uh, Barna just released a study where they um, were surveying people all across the country about their trust in the institutions of society. And um, the two institutions that they trust the most in our country by far is the military and, and small business. And being a, 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 a military veteran myself and being a small business owner myself, I was like, yo, that's amazing. That's so dope. That's so dope. But down towards the bottom of that list is the church. <laughs> it's one of the institutions that Americans trust the least, 32%. Now, this study started way back. They started doing this every year back in 1973. And in 1975, Americans trusted the church. 68% of our country had their trust in the church. And now, 2023, less than half. I think it's not so much an assault on the church as it is this Bible. I think as time has gone on, people have been leaning on this less and less and less. And people have been trying to disprove this more and more and more. And people have been trying to give us more options outside of the context of this Bible of ours. And unfortunately, it's been making some traction. Um, but this Bible is true. This Bible is infallible, which means that it won't fail. But it's up to us, those that call ourselves believers. We love Jesus and he's the best and I give my life. We got we to gotta take this book that he left us, this gift that he left us with a little more seriousness because there's so much on the line. 
because you got to remember, he didn't save you just for you. He saves you to be a representation of his goodness, his mercy in the earth so that you could become a light in dark places, so that you could become the salt in the earth. In other words, so that you can have a positive effect on your neighbor, that they would want to know more about your Savior. But how can they know more about your Savior if you barely know anything about him? So that's why we've been taking the time to walk through this series. And so we're going to open this message like we did last week. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. Uh, I'm going to read 16 and 17. These verses are actually highlighted in my Bible. I would dare to suggest that maybe you should highlight it in yours too, because when someone comes to challenge you, and they will, of the validity, the authenticity of this holy book, you got to have something to say. And so this is, this is what we find in 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All scripture is inspired by God. That means from front to back, from cover to cover, every word in this Bible was inspired by the spirit of the living God. And is, shout this word with me, and is useful. Did you know that? That your Bible is useful? That you can use it in your life today. This isn't a book that's not applicable in 2023. You can use this book to help your marriage. You can use this book to help your health. You can use this book to help your finances. You can use this book to help you make decisions every single day because it's alive. It's active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's continue on. Uh, 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 it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us what, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. We talked about this last week. There are some things, hello, that are wrong in your lives. And the Bible helps us realize what those things are so that we can make the proper adjustment. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Here's 17. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is preparation for you. Because some of us are so confused. God, what do you want me to do? If you dig into this word, you'll begin to get revelation about your tailor-made purpose in the earth. But it takes you opening up the word of God and believing that all scripture is inspired by him. So, we're going to do a message today called, You Better Believe It. <laughs> I mean, you, you better believe this for your own sake, for your own goodness. <laughs> because you are going to need this. And if you're walking into the scriptures with doubt, you lose the effectiveness thereof. Because we talked about before that the word of God is activated by our faith. So if we enter into these scriptures with doubt, we lessen the effectiveness of the power that it can have on our lives. And there is an assault on this word. And you need to know that you can trust this word. So that's the heart of today's message. You better believe it. Let's pray. 
Lord, we honor you this morning, thanking you for waking us up and starting us on our way. We know that we are only here because your grace and your mercy have allowed it to be so. Not because we're good, not because we deserve it, but because your grace is sufficient. So thank you, Lord. We ask that as we enter into your presence even further, and as we unpack what you have to say through your holy word, that you open up our hearts and our ears and our minds to understand clearly what it is that you have to communicate to us. I, Father, I remove myself out of the way so that your perfect will can be done in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So this week I, I was in Baltimore and um, I was visiting one of my mentors and I was blessed by the rental car company. Um, I drove a Tesla for the first time. Right, right. Now, now I have some friends that had, that had Teslas and they, they told me, you know, you kind of got to, you know, look, some, look, look, look at some videos before you get in there for the first time so you can understand how everything works. And they were right. I'm glad I did look at some videos because it's like completely different ball game, right? This is a, a vehicle with no gas. This totally everything is ran by electricity. And so, when I first got in, you don't use a key. <laughs> you use like a card. It looks like a little credit card. And you have to hold it up to the door, which unlocks the door. And then it doesn't even have regular like door handles. Like the door handles are like sunken into the door and you got to press it for it to open up. And so then I get in and it's this massive, massive screen in the middle that really controls everything. And so I... Um, I was looking for the gears and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. Then I remember, oh wait, it's like the little windshield wiper thing on the side behind the steering wheel. So I put my foot on the brake and I tried to shift it and nothing happened. And then a little thing came up and it showed me I had to like put that same black card by the cup holder to make the engine turn on. It was a lot. And um, so eventually I figured it out, I figured it out, I figured it out, I figured it out. And so I'm rolling, I'm rolling and I'm rolling, and um, it's a lot to figure out, right? The gears, the, the computer screen, the, like I, I, I was like, I couldn't even figure out the air conditioner at first because it was all in the computer screen, so I had to figure it out, but I figured it out. And the best part about this here, Tesla, see, sometimes I hesitate with these stories because y'all be using my stories against me. <laughs> Yo, uh, one of my friends warned me, he said, bro, listen, um, Teslas are fast. I'm like, that's a little, little battery power. Like, what, what, how fast can it be? I said, I know fast, okay? And he was like, listen, bro, I, listen, everybody tries to challenge me at stoplights, and um, I, I win every time. I was like, oh, okay. So I kept it in the back of my mind. You know, I got to a little place where, you know, it was kind of open. And, uh, you know, I looked around. Shit. Right. And uh, so let's see what he was talking about. Y'all, this thing is fast. I have never been in a car that goes that fast that quickly. I'm not going to tell y'all how fast y'all going to go because y'all going to use it against me. I'm not going to tell you. Too fast. <laughs> but there's a particular part um, of driving a Tesla 
that's completely different from driving a regular car that, that my friend warned me about. He said, you got to get used to one pedal driving. I was like, what the heck is that, bro? Now, there's two pedals. There, there's an there's a acceleration pedal, and then there's a brake pedal. They're there. But the difference in the technology of this car is that when you press the accelerator, you're going to go. But you know, when you're in a regular car, when you take your foot off the gas, it kind of slows down, but it's still going. Well, with Teslas, when you take your foot off the gas, the car stops. Doesn't move. So he said, you kind of got to get used to easing off and easing on and get used to one pedal driving because as soon as you stop leaning into it, you lose momentum forward. And I think that that's what's been happening with this Bible of ours. At one season of life, we've been leaning into it. We've been calling on it. We've been looking for scriptures. To, but, but, but life happens and, and, we, and we take our foot off the gas and we wonder why we're no longer progressing forward in life. Because much like a Tesla, when you take your foot off the gas, you're no longer moving forward. That's how vital this word is to our life. We have to constantly be leaning into it. Even if we're leaning into it with trepidation, even if we're leaning into it with lack of understanding, even if we're leaning into it, not understanding all the words and meanings and the topics, as long as we're leaning into it and leaning on it, we are moving forward. Another reason we come up off the gas, though, is opposition. Not just life circumstances, but sometimes people talk us out of the Bible. People use big words, string them together, and make us think that this faith of ours is immature and weak and phony and inauthentic, unauthentic. I don't know which way that's supposed to go. But they make us think that what we believe we shouldn't believe. And then we start distrusting this Bible a little bit at a time. And we also come to a complete stop as well. I think that that's a problem. I think that that's a heart issue, or maybe it's a, an ignorance issue. Maybe we just don't understand just how trustworthy this Bible of ours is. So we're going to spend some time, I'm going to give you seven reasons over time, over, this, over our time together, why our Bible can be trusted. I'll start with Matthew 24 and 35. This is Jesus talking. He said, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Like things change over time. There's advancements in technology science, history. But he's saying, despite all of those changes, my word, the words I wrote thousands of years ago, the words that were written about me, even further back than that, all of these words, they will never, ever disappear. You need to know that in your heart. You need to know that you can trust that Jesus' words about the word is true. 
So I'm going to give you seven reasons why you can trust the Bible. Number one is history proves it. <laughs> All throughout history, there have been examples, there have been findings, there have been corroborations that what we believe in our Bible, what's written in there is accurate. Psalm 33 and 4 says, for the word of the Lord holds true. Tuck that away in your heart. And we can trust everything that he does. You can put your faith in him. You can put your trust in his word. And history even helps to prove the authenticity of this word. Now, historically speaking, not Bible, just history. Whenever something is found to be historically authentic, I'm not talking about the Bible, just historical artifacts in general. They have to pass three tests. Test number one is it has to be an eyewitness account. It can't be hearsay. It can't be so-and-so said three generations ago and that you turn in some report and say that this is true. There has to be eyewitness verified accounts that what you are saying is true. Our Bible is full of eyewitness accounts. The first five books of the Bible were written by a man named Moses. So when Moses wrote the Red Sea parted, the Red Sea parted because Moses was there. <laughs> it wasn't something he heard about. It was something that he saw. Your Gospels were eyewitness accounts. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and John are disciples. There are two of the 12 disciples that went with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Mark was a disciple of Peter. So everything in Mark, he received from Peter, who was an eyewitness to the works of Jesus. Luke was a doctor. He's the only Gentile writer in the whole Bible. But everything in the book of Luke, everything in the book of Acts, because Luke wrote Acts 2, is eyewitness accounts because he went and interviewed people like the mother of Jesus and the other disciples that rolled with Jesus. And he took everything from their eyewitness accounts and organized it into those two books. So our Bible, this word of God is full of eyewitness accounts. So that's check number one for historical authenticity. Number two, it has to be recorded and copied with extreme care. Now these are the rules for history period. These aren't Bible rules. But I think that God chose the Jewish people because history shows that nobody, no region, no nation was more meticulous with their record keeping than the people of Israel. They have standards of authentic, authentic how you say that? Authentic, authenticity that no, nobody else has. There's normal levels of how people look at records and say this is true and this is fake. But the people of Israel had even higher standards for themselves because they took their history that serious. In fact, the first Bible 
was translated from Hebrew to Greek. The Old Testament was several hundred years before the New Testament, several thousand, some parts before the New Testament started. The problem was that during Jesus' day, they no longer spoke Hebrew because they went into exile for generations and generations and their language changed. So everything that was written down in the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, a language that they no longer spoke. And so there had to be a commission for the Hebrew Bible to be transcribed into Greek. They are so meticulous in their transcribing that they didn't transcribe word for word. They transcribed letter by letter. Every letter had to be perfectly matched up in order for it to be verified as authentic. Is that the word? I'm really struggling with this word today. I don't know what it is. Authentic. Y'all still with me? (laughs) Third test. Remember, this is secular test. This isn't even a Christian test. Is that there had to be archaeological confirmation. There had to be some type of artifacts to match up with what was in the writing or what was in uh, the manuscripts about certain things. There have been numerous, and I mean numerous, Archaeological findings, meaning they dug in the ground and found artifacts that match up to the writings in the Bible. One of the last things that they couldn't find that was written in the Bible was about an empire of the Hittites. You've heard of the Hittites. That's one of the people that the children of Israel had to fight to get into the promised land. Well, there was no artifacts of them for a very long time until the early 1900s when it was dug up, found and confirmed. It was just another long list of reasons why the words of the Bible are true, because we have evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence. History proves that the Bible is true. You could just take one of those. You could just break it out and just take one and stand on that alone. But if that's not enough, not only does history prove it, but science proves it. Science proves that this Bible of ours is true. Science isn't new. Science has been around in our day, but also in the days of the Bible. Psalms 148, five and six says this, let every created thing give praise to the Lord for he issued his command and they came into being. Talk about how things were created. He set them in place forever and ever. And his decree will never be revoked. This isn't a science book, but there's science in it. And he wants you to know that the science that you know about and the science that you don't even know about yet, he's behind it. He's the mastermind. He's the artist that created it all. And he wants you to know that you can trust him. And he even allows the discipline of science to help you realize that everything in this Bible is accurate. Again, science isn't new. They had scientists during the times that your Bible was written. And these scientists gave belief systems for that time. One of the most popular ones that you've heard about is that the earth is flat. 
They really truly believed that. You, you know, you, you, you remember social studies class when Christopher Columbus took the, took the risk of coming because he believed that the earth was not flat and that it was round and that you can get from here to there. But prior to his discoveries, there was a staunch belief that this world was flat and that if you went too far, you was going to fall off that boy. And now Kyrie Irving, he out here talking about the earth is flat, but that's another story. The earth is not flat. But they really, 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 really believed that the earth was flat. But here's the thing. They could have just looked at scripture to find the truth because in Isaiah 40 and 22, long before Christopher Columbus, God sits above the what? Circle. Circle of the earth. That word circle in the original text is sphere. <laughs> it's where we get the globe, the shape of it. Because thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, the Spirit of God inspired the prophet Isaiah to let people know that this earth of ours is circular. Isn't it interesting that this isn't a science book, but science proves that the words are true. All science is doing is catching up to what God already said. We'll keep going. FYI, the earth is not flat. Okay, moving on. Not only did they think that the earth was flat, but there were some like the Hindus of that time because Hindus were around during this time as well. They didn't think that the earth was just flat, but they also thought that the earth was held up. If you've ever seen an atlas, you can barely see it, but that's that picture of that guy holding the earth up. He was supposed to be a god named Atlas that was responsible for keeping the earth in its, in its position and making the earth turn around. They really, truly believed that it was held up by this Greek god. Some others, um, they thought that the earth was on top of an elephant. This is true, I'm sorry. You can look it up. And the elephant was on top of a giant turtle. Now we laugh, but we shouldn't. Because there's things that we say that wouldn't make sense to somebody that heard it if they would have heard it 50 years ago. If you told somebody 50 years ago that you're going to surf the web, they would be confused. How are you going to put a surf web on a spider? Or how are you going to put a surfboard on a spider web? Right? If you would have told them 20 years ago that your pastor would be flying down Baltimore in an, elect in an electric car, they'd be like, bro, please, what is this, the Jetsons? <laughs> things evolve, things change. The Egyptians, now they, were, they are credited for being uh, uh, the most innovative architects of the time. And they believed that the earth was sitting on top of five pillars. It's taught in their schools, which is ironic because if you remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about Moses, he was raised in the Egyptian palace as the grandson of the current Pharaoh of that day, which means that he was taught those things, but yet those things didn't show up in scripture. Why? Because Moses didn't write it in his own strength. Moses didn't write the books of the Bible that he wrote with his own human comprehension. He was inspired by 
the Holy Spirit. So when everybody thought that the earth was being held up by something, your, the oldest book in your Bible is not Genesis, it's Job. And in the book of Job 26 and 7, it says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. You got to understand how powerful your God is. If you knew how powerful your God is, you would call on him a little bit more. He hung the earth and all the planets on nothing. And yet they sit there. Science has to catch up to the Bible. That's all they're doing. They're playing catch up. I'll, I'll give you another example. Uh, at one time during the Bible days, the, the, the astronomers of that time really believed that they could count how many stars there were in the sky. And so there were people that were, that were charged with counting the number of stars that were in the sky. And one of those astronomers was Hippocrates. And in 150 BC, he, through the, technology, the technological um, advances of that time, counted 850 stars. And then 300 years later, another astronomer named Ptolemy, he did it and he counted 1,025 stars. They figured it out. 1,025 stars. The problem is Jeremiah 33 and 22 says, and as the stars of the sky cannot be counted. Science has to catch up, right? Hippocrates said there's 850 stars. 300 years later, Ptolemy says there's 1,025 stars. And as of 2023, scientists have said that there are 200 billion trillion stars and counting. Because science has to catch up to what God already said. He said, bro, you can't count them. You never going to figure it out, but we keep trying. And as you can see, mysteriously, the numbers keep increasing. Because science proves that the words in our Bible is true. But it's not just like earth science. Um, a medical science proves that the Bible is true. There was this um, discipline of medicine back in the day called humorology. And at the heart of humorology, they said that all diseases were caused by four things. Yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. So in other words, they said, well, if you would come with an illness or you were facing some type of sickness, they would say you got too much blood in your body or you have bad blood in your body. And that led to a remedy that they came up with called bloodletting. Bloodletting. That just simply means they would cut your tail so that blood would come out because too much blood was harmful to you, supposedly. So much so that our very first president, George Washington, this is how he died. He woke up one morning feeling sick. This is after his presidency. And 
which was common in the day. He had a, a, a helper and he said, you know, let some of the blood out. I just need to, I just need to let some of the blood out. So they did it once. He didn't feel better. Another doctor showed up. They, he did it a second time. He didn't feel better. And so they did it a third time. And that third time is what killed him because they had this belief that too much blood can hurt your life. Man, if they would have just read Leviticus 17 and 11, for the life of the body is in the blood. Now we don't take blood out. We put blood in. It's called a transfusion. Science is catching up to what God already said. Science proves that our Bibles are true. Medical science advanced, things got better, but there still was a lot of work to do for science, especially medical science, to catch up to what God already said. There was this black plague that took place in Europe. 25% of Europe died during the black plague because they didn't understand germology and how germs can pass diseases on from one person to the next. So the entire, not country, the entire continent of Europe lost 25% of its population because they didn't understand how germology worked. And we can, we can fast forward to what we just went through in a couple, a couple of years ago through, through the pandemic. And what we did versus what they did was found in the scriptures because Leviticus 13 and 4 says, when they were dealing with sickness, the priests will quarantine. Y'all thought that came from Washington, D.C., huh? This is biblical. They knew. They need to be set apart. Because if they're not, the disease will spread and cause more danger. They need to quarantine for seven days. And we thought we was like, we, we, like we figured something out in 2020, huh? Maybe we should quarantine. Really? Where did you get that idea? It's an idea that's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old because science proves that the words in our Bible are true. I, lo I love this in Psalm 12 and 6. It says, and the words of the Lord are Flawless. Huh? Come on, man. You got to brag on your God sometimes. Like, bro, what? What? My, my, the words of my God are flawless. Like, you can't even mess with it. He's been saying stuff that y'all just now catching up to. You got, you know what I'm saying? You got to have a little swag with it sometimes. Like, flawless. That's why you got to read your Bible. You got to know what's in there. Sometimes God be talking stuff too. No, never mind. Y'all not ready for that. So, not only uh, uh, does history prove, not only does the science prove it, but prophecy proves it. Do you know how dangerous, like if you're going to make a book and say it's holy and say that like, 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 like it's perfect and flawless, you know how dangerous it, it, it is to put a bunch of prophecies in here? <laughs> because if they don't come true, you got to throw the whole book away. Like that's day, like why would they do that? because they wanted you to see evidence of the fact that the things that were predicted 
came true. You know, there's, there's like a thousand prophecies in your Bible. Did you know that? Like 300 of them are just talking about Jesus. But in total, there's like a thousand prophecies in your Bible. You know how dangerous that is? All they have to do is get one wrong. And we got to look at the Bible differently. There was this study done by um, a scientist, last name Stoner. It's a probability study. What he did was he gathered a bunch of mathematicians um, to do a probability study of what it would take to get that many prophecies correct. Probability, just to simplify it, it's the chances of something happening. So just as an example, if I had a bucket right here of tennis balls, 10 tennis balls, but one of them were red and the other nine were green, and I shook the bucket up, and then I put my hand in trying to find the red ball, I would have a one out of 10 chance to find that ball. Are you with me? Okay. So they did, all these mathematicians, all these super smart people, they got together and they ran the numbers, they ran the calculations, and they said, for one person to successfully fulfill, listen to me, eight prophecies, eight, not 300, in order for one person to fulfill eight prophecies, they had a one and 10, that number, 10 to the 17th power. Now you're looking at the number, you're like, that's kind of big. But let me contextualize it for you. Okay. Let's say one silver dollar represented one. One silver dollar represented one. For me to have that many silver dollars, 10 to the 17th power, it would fill up the state of Texas. But it would have to be sunken by two feet to fit all those silver dollars. Texas big, y'all. I used to live in Texas. The top of Texas is Texarkana. The bottom of Texas is El Paso. That's a 14-hour drive. Texas is big, y'all. So let's play that out. So there's that many silver dollars on the ground in the state of Texas. That's like putting somebody in a helicopter, blindfolding them, setting down in some random place in Texas and asking them to find the red silver dollar. That's the probability, listen, follow me, of getting eight prophecies right. Just eight. In order for a person to get 16 prophecies right, they will have 10 to the 45th power. I can't even, I couldn't fit them zeros on there. <laughs> In order for a person to get 48 prophecies right, 48, it would have been 10 to the 157th power. Jesus fulfilled over three Hundred prophecies with his life. 
things that people said about him hundreds and thousands of years before he was born, he fulfilled in his 33 years on the earth. You know one that really messes me up? If you read Psalm 22, written by King David, it's a prophecy about the crucifixion of Jesus. You know what the real head scratcher is, though? Crucifixion hadn't been invented yet. Because prophecy proves the Bible to be true. Second Peter 1 and 20 says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. You that are prophets here in this audience never lean to your own understanding, because if you do, it's not a prophecy. Prophecies come from the spirit of God. And this verse is letting us know all these prophecies that you read, they came from God, not from the prophet. It doesn't come from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. You need to know that. Your children need to know that. That what they read, in this Bible, you're not just forcing them to read it just to read it. They're reading it because the words were spoken from God. The Bible was not written to us, but the Bible was written for us. We weren't there. We weren't the audience. We weren't the intended target. But every word in here was written for our good and for our benefit. This is what Jesus says. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in this. He's like, everything I'm doing, he was fully aware that every move that he was making, I'm doing this to fulfill what the prophets of old said about me. And you need to know that. Every book in your Bible speaks about Jesus. Every book in your Bible points to Jesus. Here's another one. Every book in your Bible features Jesus. We'll do that at another time. But he's there from Genesis to Revelation. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 22 and 6, this is John then the angel said it to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. Here it is again, trying to get you to understand and believe in your heart that everything you have read in your word is true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. Some people want you to believe that you're foolish for having faith in Jesus. Me personally, I think it takes more faith to believe that the prophecies of the Bible are coincidence. Like, I think you got to have more faith to think that one man could fulfill 300 prophecies on accident. 
Like he just stumbled into 300 prophecies being fulfilled. I think it takes more faith to think that it was a coincidence than to think that it was part of God's plan. Because it's a part of God's plan. So, number one, history proves it. Number two, science proves it. Number three, prophecy proves it. Number four, our Bible is thematically unified. We talked about this last week. You can believe it because of how, how diverse the writership of the Bible is, but yet it's unified with one thing. There are over 40 different writers. We talked about this last week of your Bible. Those 40 different writers came from 12 different nations, three different continents. They spoke three different languages, and they all said the same thing. The theme of the Bible is unified. This is Jesus, Matthew 5 and 18, and he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear into its purposes achieved, which leads me to reason number five. Jesus trusted the Bible. You should trust the Bible because Jesus trusted the Bible. That's why he said none of this will disappear. Everything that's spoken in here will happen. Everything that's spoken in here is true. Can I come down your street just a little bit? Is that okay? Are we all right? If you only believe the parts of the Bible that please you, but you don't believe the parts of the Bible that challenge you, your trust is not, it's not in the Bible, it's in yourself. You're still leaning on you if you want to cherry pick the scriptures that fit your narrative. Your faith is flawed. Either, listen to me, the whole Bible is true or none of it is. Either everything in here is accurate or none of it is. You don't get to. It's not a menu. It's God's holy, trustworthy word. Number six, we're almost done. I know you're tired. It has survived all attacks. Oh, they hate the Bible. They don't like it. They have been trying to disprove this thing forever. And it still has not worked. The Bible is the most despised, derided, denied, disputed, debated, and destroyed. But you see all them D's? Destroyed book in the world. They've been really trying to get rid of this thing, but yet there it is in your hand. All these geniuses all this intelligence over the generations? Ain't nobody been able to get rid of it? No. Not my God. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Can't get rid of it. No matter how hard 
you try, no matter how smart somebody wants to appear to you with their lofty words and their great uh, thoughts on the matter, the Bible is still here. Matter of fact, there was this guy who was super smart. His name was Voltaire. He's a French historic figure of legend. He was somebody that everybody looked up to because of his intelligence. And he had a quote about the Bible. He said, a hundred years from now, this Bible won't even exist. It's been more than a hundred years. It's been a lot more and the Bible still exists. But you know why you got a, you know God's got a sense of humor? Because like 50 years after he died, his house became a warehouse for Bibles. It was purchased by the French Bible Society and it was used to house Bibles and gospel tracts to evangelize France. Stop playing with my God, man. <laughs> but there, here's the thing, in all seriousness, we gotta, we, gotta, we gotta value this. Sometimes we get in our own way, we talk ourselves out of it, it's too lofty, it's, it's too this, it's too that, I don't have time, everybody's got time. I shared this a, a while back. You can give God your first 15. You can do it. Like, stop overcomplicating it. Nobody's telling you you need a seminary degree. Nobody's telling you you need to spend an hour, two hours. Like, you can't give, you can't, you can't give him 15 minutes. It's simple. Five minutes in prayer, five minutes in worship, five minutes in the word. Like, I promise you, seriously, we say this here. Like, if you give us a year, your life will be changed. Why? Not because we're special, but because God is. And if you do what's given to you over the course of a year, you will never be the same. Can you imagine if you just consistently gave God this first 15 how much your life would change. You've been making it too deep. That's why you've been doing nothing. You have 15 minutes. Stop playing with me. If you just decided that I love God enough to try to be consistent with being in his presence for 15, just that 15 minutes a day would change your life. You put everything else in your little calendar. Why don't you pencil him in? And let him change your life forever. I really, guys, I really, I really, I just really believe that this book can change your life because it's changed mine. I really believe that if you go into it and be vulnerable with him, ask him to help you to, to see what's in here, to, 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 Ask him to help you to, to apply what's in here. You know what the goal of, of, this, of this series is? It's, it's threefold. It's to help you to learn it, to love it, and to live it. Because I know it'll change your life if you do. You won't be able to stay the same if you lean into 
the word of God on a consistent basis. I only got one last point. But I just want you to know just how powerful this is. And, and that last point is that it has transforming power. Your Bible has the ability to completely and utterly transform who you are. Maybe you don't even realize how much transformation you need. But you will if you lean in to his word. You'll start to see you because quite often when you stare into the pages of the Bible, it begins to look like a mirror. You begin to see your reflection. I mean, knowing you, you look in sometimes, you're like, oh my gosh. You see, you see flaws. You see imperfections. You got something in your nose. Something in your eye that you wouldn't have seen necessarily without looking in the mirror. That's what this Bible is. And if you keep looking, if you keep looking every day, you keep looking and you keep making the necessary adjustments, you become transformed. John 8 and 31 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. See, see some people are church attenders. They're not disciples. Some people go to church, but they're not being discipled by him by choice. So how do I become a disciple? You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. If you remain faithful to my teachings. So what that means is I don't create other standards that are different than the standards in, in here. It's me making a conscious decision that I'm going to live my life by the standards that God has provided me. You're going to have to ask yourself a question. What's going to be the authority in my life? The word or the world? You're going to have to choose. You're not going to be able to be neutral. So when the government makes policies, you got to decide, what's my standard? That might be their standard, but what's going to be my standard? What the word says or what the world says? Who's going to be the authority, the governing body of how I live? You're going to have to choose. And we wanted to make it real plain for you that you could trust your Bible. Why? Because we want to make the choice easier for you. Can the Bible, can the Bible improve your life? You better believe it. Can the Bible expand your paradigm? Better believe it. Can the Bible show you the real you? Whew. Some of us already know the answer to that. You better believe it. But when it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, you are going to have to stand before a holy God by yourself. 
an answer for everything that you did on this earth. Best way to prepare yourself for that, that interview is by keeping your foot on the gas of this Bible so that you can keep progressing into the destiny that God has established for you. Because the second, just like that Tesla I was driving, you take your foot off the gas, your progress, your momentum ceases. And you stay stuck in the place that you took your foot off the gas. Let's stop treating the Bible like a Christmas tree ornament. We just hang up one season a year. And let's start treating it like what the Bible says about the Bible. Bread that we need every single day in order to become strong and have the nutrients that we need to live the life that God has ordained for us. But in order to get access to it, you first have to believe it. Thank you for joining us today. For more ways to stay connected, visit us at allnationsaurora.com. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks for listening. Now go out and change the world.